0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
1: Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan, and I write about technology and culture for Slate. Until about a year ago, I studied and taught English literature, which is part of why I'm so excited for our guests this week. Chantal Sang is a bartender who works out of the Reading Room at Petworth Citizen, a restaurant in northwest D.C. The Reading Room is a bar tucked away inside a bar. It's a book-lined space that feels set aside from the hustle and bustle of the everyday. Each week, Sang plans a new menu for the space, designing a cocktail list inspired by the work of an author she's been reading recently. We spoke to her as she was preparing to debut a Lewis Carroll-inspired menu, but in the past, she's extrapolated on the work of Italo Calvino, Graham Greene, and many other authors. We talked with her about how she creates new cocktails and about the effort that she puts into setting up and running the bar itself. And in a Slate Plus Extra... Sang reads Lewis Carroll's poem, The Jabberwocky, before talking us through a sherry cocktail that it inspired. I tried it, and it's delicious. Can you tell us who you are and what you do?
2: My name is Chantal Sang, and uh, I'm a a bartender. I have a specific cocktail program back here where I create cocktail menus every weekend based on um, rotating authors, sort of a literary cocktail series.
1: Who are some of the authors, uh, writers that you've worked with?
2: Well, currently, we're doing Lewis Carroll this week, but we've um, gone through a lot of great authors, starting with Hemingway, Edgar Allan Poe, we Shakespeare, Ian Fleming, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Jules Verne, Hans Christian Andersen, Kafka, Bradbury, Murakami, Patricia Highsmith, Scott Fitzgerald. I'll stop. Keep, I can keep going. There's a, lot. <laughs> that's, that's a, a <laughs> lot.
1: So what does that mean on a week like this one for the Lewis Carroll cocktails?
2: Well, so that means I'll read the literature by the author. Not all of it, obviously, (laughs) but I'll find some stories and then I'll read those stories or those novels and then I will use that as my inspiration for the actual cocktail. So this week we have a cocktail menu of seven drinks, um, riffing off of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, the Through the Licking Glass, um, the Hunting of the Snark, and then a few of the characters that are inside those actual pieces of literature.
1: What's the first step when you set out to invent or design a cocktail for an event like this one
2: well i guess the first step is the reading but as far as like thinking about the cocktails it's it's basically inspired from the from the literature so as i'm reading i'll sort of pick up what they might be drinking what they drink in the the book or perhaps um some kind of uh, aromatic elements if they're in a description talking about the orange groves and the cinnamon in the air then kind of feel like the need to incorporate said elements
1: how do you figure out what should go in a specific drink
2: so a lot of it just comes from making cocktails for a long time and kind of going all right this is in my head this is in my palate let me sort of free associate and riff off and create these drinks and a lot of them for example kind of start from classics Mm -hmm.
1: do you taste your work as you go
2: I do. Um, I also taste a lot of or I'll use recipes that I've used before or riff off of other recipes. And sometimes it's sometimes it's not tasted, but I kind of know what the flavors are. So I feel good about it or I'll get there that day and then sort of tweak the ratios and the proponents or go, okay, well, there needs to be more lemon to make this work or a little bit less of the gin or a little bit more of the vermouth. And so it's kind of a little free flowing improvisational on the day of.
1: Is there ever danger of getting sloshed while you work?
2: Oh, no. Professional. <laughs> uh,
1: how long does it usually take, then, to dial in a new concoction?
2: Oh, it takes, well, it's, it's anywhere. It's kind of a, a large span of time from perfect. That took me two minutes to think that needs to go with that. Or I might lead in thinking, I'm reading Death in the Afternoon. You know what? There's already a cocktail named Death in the Afternoon, created by Hemingway. Or I'm reading The Jabberwock has a cocktail named after it for Lewis Carroll. Um, or it could take a couple days Sometimes I just rack my brain going, why can't I make this happen? And then it just comes to me.
1: Uh, can we talk about <laughs> one of the one of the cocktails um, from this week? Uh, sure. maybe Let's say the March Hare. What's What's in the March Hare?
2: So the March Hare um, has rye whiskey with some fresh squeezed carrot juice, barley tea, some ginger syrup, a little bit of lemon, and then it gets topped off with nutmeg.
1: What was your thinking behind that one?
2: Having read the story of... The, and the element in Alice's um, adventures in Wonderland, we were looking at the tea party. So I did want to incorporate in the menu several drinks with tea. I'm also a huge tea drinker. It's insane how much tea I drink and own, just on a side. But so I thought, well, the, the March Hare, they're stuck in this time, which is like a minute before tea time because they got into an argument in Wonderland. And so they're stuck right before tea time in this endless tea party, which is why it's a mad tea party. And what is keeping him wired versus the mouse next to him is constantly falling asleep. I was like, well, if you can't drink tea, perhaps it's whiskey. He kind of has that like wired look around him. So I was like, this could be a whiskey cocktail. And then naturally that made sense with fresh carrot juice. And I love the flavors of carrot juice and ginger and like that lemon and all that spice element. It all comes together. It's something I've done before. So it kind of makes me go, oh, good. I love that. This is perfect for this.
1: That cocktail sounds great. How long does it take to actually make a drink when you're when you're preparing it?
2: Usually drinks don't take more than a minute, and a minute is pretty long for making a cocktail. But some drinks are pre-batched if they're going to be served a lot of them and they become a punch. Some drinks, for example, require um, making tea a la minute, so we have to brew the tea, and that takes a little bit longer. That's one, that one would be closer to a minute or two minutes.
1: Mm. You're serving different cocktails each week. Does that mean that you have to set the bar up differently each week?
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some routine and then there's changing up the routine so there's every week is a little bit of okay this is where i put my mixing glass and now i'm in this bowl here i'm going to put lemons in this bowl here now i'm putting cucumbers or i've brought in some extra accoutrements from home because i have a lot of things at home that i like to decorate the bar with and it works for the theme of this week so here's a teapot or here's this um the stellar set of sake cups or (laughs) just because they look good
1: how long does it usually take to get everything organized
2: Well, on a Friday, which is when the new menu is, it always takes a good hour and a half, sometimes two hours. depends on what's involved. A lot of the prep I will do elsewhere as well or in advance. Sometimes that requires, for example, drying things out like garnishes like fruits um, or pickling things, um, juicing in general. Juicing is pretty much the day of, but um, yeah, it takes a little while. But on Saturdays, it doesn't take as much time because I've already had it set up the day before. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is it difficult to source uh, any of the liquors or other components? Do you ever find yourself looking for things that you don't have easily on hand?
2: Sometimes. Um, part of the reason why I'm doing the series in the first place is because I've been ordering and I really know the what's available in the D.C. market very well. And I've been so there's a part of me that's like using that base of, OK, I know where to buy this and what to get this. So it's not that hard to find stuff.
1: Do you ever create you, you talked about pickling earlier? Do you ever create uh, infusions or shrubs or other components that take more of your week?
2: Sometimes. I have in the past. I haven't recently. Just I've done some pickling in the fall and winter for garnishes with like persimmons and apples and something else. I can't remember now. Pineapples. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love pickled pineapple. It's so good. Surprisingly delicious. Um, what sort of tools do you use? Does that change from week to week?
2: It can. Yeah. Um, I always have something, for example, to heat the water, which is our hot water pot. And then I have varying different teapots I might use to brew tea. We did Jorge Luis Borges once, and I had brought in a specific matcha teacup to use for a lot of tea and just kind of drank out of it the whole night. The tea, that is. I like to get into character, sort of riff a little bit off of the theme. And when I'm at home, you know, putting my wardrobe together, I'll be like, oh, this one necklace will work. I have this necklace that I got ages ago that's a little... Um, it's kind of riffing off of like the miniature absinthe bottles that people used to wear, like as necklaces and things. And it's like, oh, that's perfect for Drink Me, Alice in Wonderland. Or. So um, it's like the
1: Drink Me uh, bottles from that story?
2: Exactly. Um, and then we'll do the same with the music. So our, our music is all off of an iPod. And depending on who we feature a certain week, we'll, we'll change the music to have it make sense.
1: What have you put on previous playlists for other authors?
2: Well, when we did. Um, uh, Ian Fleming for James Bond Night we played like all the soundtrack music which was really cheesy but kind of a lot of fun um, otherwise we've done sort of for Murakami Night uh, we did a lot of like classic jazz Haruka Murakami was a big jazz fanatic so that was kind of perfect um, let see what else sometimes we don't know what to play but we'll think oh Margaret Atwood wrote her first novel in the 80s 80s music tonight so it just depends it's kind of like we'll, we'll decide as we set up
1: <laughs> what kind of prep has gone into this week in particular
2: um so this week was definitely about thinking about the presentation of cocktails so wanted to make sure i had um candy i wanted to get candy that's not a lot of prep they didn't cry go to going to the store um getting we have these like small bottles that we can do bottled cocktails for like and label them drink me for for the pim's cup that's the variation of alice's wonderland um so it's a lot of sourcing of materials. And um, kind of going through my tea library, uh, drying. I was drying a lot of grapefruits so that they can sit on top of the glass and be like the bottom of a hat. Um, Preparation this week was also just sort of carving, uh, carving peels to get the right shapes that we're looking for for a presentation. Because we like to to up our garnish game back here. And it kind of has been developing over the few months that we've been doing this. Every every month or every week, it's like, ooh, what do we do next? Because the garnish game is kind of exciting for the whole concept. What are
1: some of the garnishes this week?
2: So, some of the garnishes include um, a cucumber sandwich, which is just cucumbers, two dials of cucumbers with cream cheese and mint in the middle, and it's going to sit on the cocktail. Um, we also have the hat, which is the grapefruit dried out with a lime shell on top, kind of sitting on. It's nice and colorful.
1: What does it take to to dry a grapefruit? You, I assume you mean dry, dry a grapefruit slice? Is that...
2: Yeah, just slice them as thin as you can and um, low heat overnight. I put it on wax paper and I flip them so they don't get sticky and then just get them to a nice texture. Is that edible? Oh, yes. A lot of the garnishes are edible. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we'll use, for example, well, a couple weeks ago for Graham Greene, there was the story The Quiet American and the, the character uh, Pile in it. He was on this premise of being into plastics in Vietnam and, like, sort of selling plastics and how it's for use for toys, but that was not true. <laughs> and uh, so the, we had, like, a plastic little inker as a garnish as part of the presentation. So you don't eat that, but it was there for show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've been listening to bartender Chantal Tsang. In a minute, Sang tells us how she sets up the bar to match her literary inspirations and talks to us about the shape of a typical service. Hi, this is Josh Levine from Slate's Sports Podcast, Hang Up Listen. I'm here with Stefan Fatsis. Hello, Stefan. Hello, Josh. I'm here with Mike Pesca. Hello, Mike. Hi. And we all, three of us, will be on the same stage coming up on April 25th, Monday night in Washington, D.C. for a live show at the Woolly Mammoth Theater. It's very rare for us all to be together. It's going to be fun. Both of those. It's rare for us to have fun and it's rare for us <laughs> to be together. So that's good. I'm glad we're getting both done at once. And to be together and have fun
2: at yes. the same time. Yes, that's right.
1: So if you want to be with us, if you want to have fun, you can shoot that gap, thread that needle. Be there April 25th at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. To buy tickets, you can go to slate.com slash live April 25th, Washington, D.C. Hang up and listen live. This episode of Working has been sponsored by Slack, the messaging and file sharing platform for teams. At Slate, we use Slack as a brainstorming tool, bouncing story ideas off of one another, working out headlines for our articles, and much more. Some of our team members work in New York, and some of us are in Washington, D.C., and others are just scattered all over the planet. Slack functions as a sort of virtual office for us, so much so that it's hard for me to imagine working without it. And we're not the only ones. Apparently, Slack has more than 2.5 million daily users. Visit slack.com/slate, create a new team, and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. When do you start to prep for a service?
2: It kind of ranges anytime from four to five thirty, depending on what needs to be done. There are, for example, if I'm using cold teas, then I'll make sure to brew them and get them chilled in time for service. Um, juicing i mean typically ends up being like five o'clock we which is like a two-hour window i say four i never get here at four that's a lie
1: (laughs) so when you do get here what's the first thing you do
2: first thing I do is take out all the things in my backpack that i brought for this weekend including like garnishes or specialty garnishes that i had to purchase or um drying of things um articles uh decor decor like teapots and other types of vessels and then i start decorating I also take survey of where the bottles are at and start to just set up them for service. So, like, I know, okay, these three bottles are in one cocktail. I'll put them next to each other. That sort of thing.
1: What's the first thing you do when service starts going?
2: Smile, greet people, give them water.
1: <laughs> How many people do you usually serve over the course of a night?
2: I guess it can range. So, um, it's, it's really busy if I've made, like, over 100 cocktails, uh, but this room itself seats comfortably uh, 16 people standing room. It kind of it can it can get fuller to like 20, 25, which is not a lot. So, you know, if you turn that a few times, having 75 people all night is really busy. You know,
1: <laughs> there's a cliche of the bartender as therapist. Is there any truth to that for you?
2: Sometimes those are fun conversations. And sometimes, you know, it's just I'm a person, a human being. Mm-hmm. People show up. um, and it's, it's, you find a rapport with someone and you can talk to them or someone's here to have a drink, to have fun, or to think about something else. It's conversation at the end of the day.
1: You have this book theme here. Do you ever talk books with your guests?
2: Oh, yes, of course. Um, and it's fun. Every week, The more I the more I read every week and the more all the other kind of literature in the past I've read kind of starts to come together and they just create their own conversations. There's a lot of conversations about people going, oh, you should really do so-and-so next week or have you done this author? If it's really busy, obviously there's a little bit less conversation and there's more, here's your drink, enjoy.
1: (laughs) Do you ever drink during service?
2: I typically don't drink during service. I will sip on things particularly to make sure the cocktail tastes right. Sometimes I drink a lot of tea. So I'm constantly drinking tea during service. Sometimes I'll have a little sherry as well. Uh,
1: what time of the evening does it usually start to get busiest?
2: Oh, it's pretty standard. You know, you're looking at it can get start busy at seven or, but you're like eight to ten is like the the busy time.
1: Is it hard to maintain quality when it gets more frantic?
2: I don't. I like to think no. <laughs> I, I do have a very consistent method mythology to how I make drinks. Um, very much of the jigger proponent, meaning that I'll measure everything. So if I make a cocktail like a, and it needs two ounces, I will measure into a jigger two ounces and pour it in. I don't do a lot of free pouring. I certainly did when I first started bartending like anyone did, but now I've gotten more part of this routine of measuring everything to keep that consistency. And so if it takes a while, then it takes a while, but I'm making the drink and people are, it's a small space. And for the most part, we don't run into too much trouble with it taking too long to get a drink.
1: If you have a lot of people at the bar, is it ever hard to figure out who to pay attention to?
2: It's about eye contact and it's about hi and acknowledgement. So as long as someone knows that they're not being ignored, then at the end of the day, there's a good amount of time. There's like a, a range of time that you have. You're like, OK, they see that I see them. Great. So they won't get upset in 10 seconds. Maybe they will in 30 seconds. But they know I see them. <laughs> you know? it's, a, it's its own like you're always weighing and gauging.
1: How late does service usually go?
2: It's not like a, a late night bar by any means. It's just uh, open at seven, stop at midnight. Sometimes we'll stay open a little later if we have a, if a nice crew of regulars come. Mm. But but seven to midnight are our hours. <laughs> do
1: people usually come in groups or as individuals?
2: Both. Yeah, there's actually every now and then a couple uh, groups that have like their own book club and they'll just kind of show up and take out take over some tables and do some readings. Um, And then there's the regulars who come as a couple or as themselves. So it's a a little bit of everybody.
1: What do you have to do after you've ended service? How do you shut the bar down?
2: Clean, dispose of anything that's disposable, refrigerate things that need to be refrigerated, wiping down tables, wiping down bottles, putting things back in their places, out of the way, that sort of thing.
1: How did the reading room concept come about?
2: So, um... A year ago, I was doing some traveling in Spain, and I went to a writer's workshop, which I've kind of always been dying to do in the mountains. And I started doing a lot of writing, and just naturally I would write these short stories, and at the end go, and here's a cocktail recipe. Because it's just in my nature to suddenly go, ooh, I just wrote this story about this so-and-so in the mountains, and we like, oh, this would go great with a toddy recipe. And then, And I, I was just, it's something that kind of naturally comes. I've done this a few times before, particularly for special events or when creating a cocktail menu. I will often use literature or art or music as like the title or riff off of it as inspiration. And then over the summer, um, I met with Paul, the owner, who inquired about um, if I'd be interested in doing a new project or some kind of project back here. And it was before the bar was built. He was planning on wanting to extend and create a bar back here. So we sat down in the reading room. I looked around and it just became obvious. I was like, well, clearly I can... Do literary cocktails. It'll work perfectly. It's a reading room. And it just kind of... So that's the origins, really.
1: When did you start developing your own cocktails?
2: So I started bartending, you know, 16 years ago. And the first time I bartended, it was really exciting. Like anyone who ever starts a shift, a bartending gig, they go, ooh, and then they want to create something. It's kind of like when you start cooking for the first time, you want to be like, okay, let me go off menu and do this. So as as old as that, sure. Were any of those cocktails any good? Of course not. You know, I. it's kind of like you know, you go back in time and you look at your portfolio from when you were in high school and you're still doing art today, but back then you happen to come across it and you go, wow, these should be burned, you know. As far as like cocktails that I've created that I feel good about, that period of time is a little bit closer to like probably since the mid-2000s.
1: What's your favorite part about bartending more generally?
2: Oh, well, the creative process is actually a super part of reason why I love doing this. And um, it keeps me... It keeps me like talking and interacting with people and and sharing something which is very creative, which I find, you know, I have a lot of passion for. I like spreading the own the own uh, my own desire to get people to drink more sherry and be like, hi, here's a sherry cocktail. You know what? Sherry is wonderful. That's another huge motivating factor.
1: What's the most difficult part about what you do?
2: Oh, uh, the pain, the back pain.
1: (laughs) Why? Why? Why do you have back pain?
2: It's it's a a physical job um i'm sure you can develop back pain by sitting in a desk all the time or you can also develop back pain by running around and shaking things and doing um service and and then being on your feet for a really long time so that's definitely the worst part yeah
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have advice for people who want to get into cocktail crafting
2: oh always always like um Definitely focus on getting kind of a classic lexicon down, like learn, learn the classics. Uh, go to classes, you know, sit behind great people making cocktails. Um, learn the fact that it's not about just making cocktails, it's about people. And that uh, no matter what kind of cocktail you make, you, if you have a bad experience or someone across from you is not enjoying their time, you will also not have a good experience. And so there's all kinds of components going into being a bartender.
1: Are there things that customers do at bars that drive you crazy that they should avoid?
2: Probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This was delightful. Thanks, Chantal. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Our email address is working at slate.com. And you can listen to all six seasons at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by the excellent Mickey Capper. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai, and the chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers. In a Slate Plus Extra, Chantal Sang reads Lewis Carroll's poem, The Jabberwocky, before talking us through a sherry cocktail that it inspired. For a two-week trial of Slate Plus, go to slate.com workingplus